Talk, Season 3 of the Telly Award-winning podcast. Coming at you like the Ghostbusters by way of Robert Beresford, Bobby Brown. We're too hot to handle. We're too cold to hold. We're Grant Navaloni and we're in control for about the next 90 minutes or so. I I am Ryland Grant. What what were you saying? I was going to say, I am the rare Ghostbusters 2 aficionado. I think it's a better movie. I, 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 I think I think so too. It doesn't have yeah. as much of that Reagan era nonsense that the first one does, and nothing in any Ghostbusters anything is as funny as Peter McNichol saying "Miggle." <laughs> this, this day, I have to restrain myself during the Lord of the Rings movies. I will do that roughly thirty times. Nice. Uh, watching any Lord of the Rings movie at any given moment, I will go "Miggle." <laughs> uh, how can you not it's you know he's right there anyway that painting is wonderful and miraculous and i would like it in my living room um and in the age of etsy i don't know why i haven't purchased it and put it in my living room maybe i'll do that uh, uh 90 minutes from now when we uh once we, upon a time i had a manager and my manager managed that actor and there was a print of that painting in her office oh wow and yeah. I was very covetous of that painting. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a, a, a photo opportunity there. Um, <laughs> but we digress, as per we usual. Digress. Talk about uh, Ghostbusters 2 for a moment. Yeah, digressions aside, and Ghostbusters 2 is, in fact, the superior movie. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, uh, Ringo Award-winning creator of flying comics like Aberrant Banjax, Suicide Jockeys, and now Fashing Origins. Uh, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left, is... David Avalone, uh, screenwriter, television writer, film guy in general, and comic book writer. Nice. Uh, and uh, Ghostbusters 2 fan. Uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes yeah. featuring com- comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube and uh, Apple Pods and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So double on back and check it all out. Um, great show uh, today. An old friend and a new friend on. Um, it's going to be a, a real hoot nanny. But um, why don't we plug some stuff before we bring them on? Sure. Uh, this will be airing a day or the first day of Comic-Con 2020. Nice. Two, I believe. I'm still thinking of it's 2020 because mm-hmm. we never got that one. And uh, I have a couple of panels. One with you Friday night at 7.30, if I remember correctly, and one on Sunday. Uh, in stores now is Savage Tales One-Shot, which is not really a one-shot since I'm writing a sequel to it. And uh, Elvira meets, uh, Elvira in Horrorland 3 may have dropped already. I'm not quite sure we got that one in Under the Wire. And the trade paperback of the previous Elvira adventure, Elvira meets Vincent Price, uh, collecting all five issues of that uh, that series uh, should be also in stores now. Nice, yeah. And um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, as per usual, you can get Aberrant Banjax and Suicide Jockeys, the collected editions, uh, at, at your local comic shop and find comic shops everywhere and via Amazon. So go check those out. But I will uh, I will be at uh, San Diego Comic Con also. If you're down there, uh, check me out. Like you said, we have a um, uh, what is it called? The the post-pandemic publishing landscape panel 
uh, Friday at 7.30 p.m. I believe uh, I said yes to it before you had picked a topic. So that's news to me, but that sounds fantastic. Okay, well, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I thought I emailed you the topic, but, but you know, it's a, it is a continuation of the discussions we've been having here. I think it's just, you know, uh, where were we? Where are we now? Uh, where are we going from here? Just a lot of good professionals. We have Charlie Stickney, the co-publisher of Scout Comics. And, uh, uh, you know, we're kind of getting the old gang back together. We have David Boer. We have uh, David Pepos. Um, we have Ashley B. Robinson. Nice. Um, maybe some other friends. But it's a, a great group. And we're, we're just going to have fun with it. So that's a great panel. Um, I will be on the Immortal Studios panel um, Saturday afternoon uh, talking about Fashing Origins. Um and uh, I will be signing at the Immortal booth um, all weekend. So you'll find me once a day. Check out my social media for the specific times and all that. Uh, and if you missed out on the Fasheng Origins Kickstarter, you can go to the Immortal Studios website. It is immortal-studios.com and uh, get a copy of that. I don't know that there will be copies down uh, at San Diego uh, right now. So I'm a little bit disappointed about that. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe uh, miracles happen, right? Sure. Um, but we digress again. Why don't we uh, bring our guests on and start the They are Drew Edwards and howdy. Hernandez. Howdy, howdy, guys. Hey, how's it going? Yes. I, I just want to state for the record, as a, as a Ghostbusters aficionado, <laughs> I have Fair. never met a Ghostbusters movie that I don't like. But saying that Ghostbusters Fair. 2 is the best one, those are, uh, those are strong words. <laughs> We, we we traffic in strong words here on the writer's block we well, uh, yeah we have we have the, we have the strong opinions uh, you are you are allowed you are yeah. allowed I, yeah. I think I think yeah. Ghostbusters 2 is it, unfairly maligned it's it, it's not as important a movie right I mean and and, and, right. and, and, you, and you will never you will never overcome the effect that the first uh, uh, movie had like you know culturally as a phenomenon and obviously there's there's no second movie without the first movie. Just simply, if you go and you break it down to nuts and bolts, what is the superior, uh, uh, you know, architectural product? It's Ghostbusters too. I, 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 you know, we could we could have a Comic Con panel about this and argue it. I, <laughs> I, I would. Uh, it's a date. I would love to do that. Um, yeah. I, I, it's my wife's favorite Ghostbusters movie. Um, yeah. You know, it, because of, you know, he is Vigo. You know, I mean, yeah, but it's, uh, it's fucking funny. And I will say this. I will say this. Um, I think the first movie is better, but even though Bill Murray hates it, I actually think he is better in the second movie because he his his character feels a little a little more humanized. He feels yeah. a little a little more like a fully realized yeah. character and not just a quip machine. But yeah. but it's almost like they real the screenwriters realized what a creep he was in the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost like that. They didn't, but it's almost. Yeah. It has that. It could be argued that they gross yeah. creep. I, I I do hate I do hate the sequel move of okay. So we spent an entire movie. We spent the, we spent the entire first movie getting Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver together, and then we start the second movie, and it's like oh well that didn't work out. You know, like like, like this huge emotional journey you went on completely negated. Yeah. Like uh, that's. Yeah, that's yeah. what bothers you. I I'm bothered it's, that the people of New York have trouble believing in ghosts after yeah, just, a, a also, kaiju-sized yeah. marshmallow man rampage. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm just like, yeah, the, 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 the ultimate, the, the, you know, the, the ultimate case of what I'm talking about is is the Major League franchise. So you watch you, you watch Major League One, and it, you're on this huge emotional journey with these guys. They, it, 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 
Yeah, it, it, in the end, it is the it, there's this one game playoff against the uh, the New York Yankees to get into the uh, the you know the the postseason. They they win. It is this huge triumphant thing. You're crying. Oh my god, the Indians win it. The Indians win it. Oh my god, the Indians win it. Can't say the Indians anymore. I'm sorry about that. The Guardians now, but um, but however, uh... oh no. Dramatic pause. <laughs> Will we never know what happens in Major League Two? There we go. Major Major League Two starts now that I'm back from my uh, my blip out. I keep blipping out like Thanos here. Uh, uh, Major League Two starts out with oh well, they they got swept in four games in, in, in the first round of the playoffs, and, and now they're starting from scratch. And it's like it takes the wind. You know, we had all this wind in our sails. You know, we were fucking dancing on the ceiling, and now we 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 have been ripped from the ceiling thrown down on the ground they shat on us they wiped their ass with us yeah. uh and and in ghostbusters 2 uh it's not quite like that but there is this like oh no, the, wor the worst for that is alien 3 remember how i spent a whole movie protecting a little girl from dying she's dead yeah. so uh <laughs> off the movie with a bunch of bald guys you know like yeah. Wait, what? I don't. I didn't want that at all. <laughs> slasher movies, yeah, yeah. Slasher movies did that all the time, where where you would, yeah. you know, like, you know, it, there, there, there's one or two people that that make it through uh, uh, each movie, right? And it's like we cross the finish line, we won, we're the fucking bitter, and then they get fucking killed in the first scene of the next movie. <laughs> I I am also a Friday the Thirteenth fan, and yeah. I I will I will allow that within the context of of that. The slash the slasher genre. Oh, in that genre, it makes sense. Nobody yeah. says everyone has to die. It's a downer. Mm. You but know. you're right about Major League. You're yeah. right about Major League. <laughs> is there, you know, when you say franchise, is there a third Major League movie? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Ba 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 back, back to the minors, yeah. yeah. Seriously. That's a tough watch, but but it's I mean it was like you 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 knew you knew it was gonna be a tough ride when when Wesley Snipes doesn't come back for Major League Two. They replaced right. with Omar Omar Epps. Fine actor, love him uh, in a number of things, but you know he's not Willie Mays Hayes, right? Um, and uh, and yeah, so so you have back to the minors. Um, yeah, which, which, wait, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. Which again, I mean, the whole point of Major League One is you had this ragtag bunch of guys who they actually become they become important, active, great Major League Baseball players, and then by the by the third one, they they they've gone back to the minors. <laughs> in the fourth one, they're all coaching little league. Yeah, well, it might be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 beer league softball is what it is. Yeah. So our guests today. <laughs> but we digressed. Now that we that this one was my fault. Okay. Yeah. This one is you said, uh, Drew, aside from being a Ghostbusters uh, a specialist, what what else do we know? Do we need to know about you? Uh, so I am Drew Edwards. I am the writer, creator of uh, the long-running underground comic Halloween Man. I am a Ringo nominee for Best Writer. I am a Best of Austin winner through the Austin Chronicle and nominee several times over. And I am a member of the PIN America Fellowship of Writers. So that sounds all hoity-toity and sophisticated, but I assure you I'm quite lowbrow. <laughs> very nice and paolo tell us a little bit about yourself i'm um, just an austin-based uh, illustrator and uh, i've worked on uh several titles uh including guano guy and also halloween man and uh that's it i'm i don't have any fancy titles or anything <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're young yet you can you can you can get some fancy titles fancy titles yeah. and also it is it is paolo's uh, birthday when we're recording this yeah 
So go back in time and wish him a happy birthday on uh, on July 7th, uh, 2022. Should you stumble across the time machine today on July 20th, 2022. Hopefully uh, it's a hot tub time machine. Yeah. <laughs> so at the time that this airs, you will be in the becalmed in the doldrums of uh, the middle of a uh, uh, crowdfunding campaign. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about your campaign, Drew, and uh, you're on Indiegogo, right? Indiegogo, uh, not not the brand name that is that is Kickstarter, but uh, we we will we will we can we can get into that later. Um, yeah. So what I am doing is Halloween Man meets the Latex Avenger. It is two underground comic books coming together. Uh, my own Halloween Man and Dan Price's superhero spoof about a superhero dressed as a giant condom remember when i said lowbrow um ah see there you go um years just just slam those two comics together it's exactly how it reads reads. um subtitled coffee house on haunted hill so uh, it was appropriate that we were talking about ghostbusters because there are in fact ghosts in this story but there is mostly just juvenile jokes um i i First kind of came across this, I ran into Dan back when I still had a day job, uh, back before the pandemic, and I saw him in the grocery store. Uh, I used to work for Boar's Head, the deli meats and cheese people, and I saw Dan in the grocery store with his kid, and I ran over and I grabbed him and I shook him and I was like, we, we should do a crossover between Latex Avenger and Halloween Man, it'll be great. And I don't think he knew how serious I was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Until um, until he started getting actual script pages, and I eventually wore down his defenses. At first, he was like, "Drew, why would you want to do this? You know, you're gonna, you're they'll burn you in effigy. Your people actually like your character. My mm-hmm. character is an asshole. Why would you want to do this?" And I was like, "Because it'll be fun." And uh, you know, eventually, I wore down his defenses, and he agreed to do it. And actually, originally, he was going to draw it as well, but then the pandemic happened, and he got uh, he got busy with his uh, very successful indie comic uh, called Big Bigfoot Knows Karate, and um, it is yeah, right there. I love that you brought visual aids. I should have brought visual aids. I'm, so I'm the artist, um, so I gotta I gotta do visual aids. You gotta you gotta. Um, so <laughs> eventually, we I I didn't want to give up on it. I was like, I loved the script. I thought it was so funny. I loved working with like a top notch comedy writer, which is what dan really is and eventually he was like okay we can still do it but i'm not going to be able to draw it i'm too busy drawing you know sasquatch doing martial arts and that to that we both said paulo is going to draw it and that's how he came in to this uh this equation nice and how had you worked with paulo before or where, where did he where did he come from for you so um, I've known both him and Dan for about a decade. Uh, Austin's got a fairly big comic book scene, a lot of indie creators. Um, there used to be a yearly event in Austin called Nerd Cave. And um, that's how I know both Dan and Paulo. Um, Paulo has worked with me before. I did a one-shot comic called Halloween and Bat City Special. And it was all Austin creators working on it. And it was an anthology book. And every different artist got 
a, uh, yep, that one. Uh, every different artist got a different story. Paulo did a story, uh, he did a Lucy Chaplin Science Starlet story involving a evil alien pinup robot named Robotica Queen of Metal. Um, sure. and, like you do. And again, low bro. Um, but uh, I, I greatly enjoyed working with him and I brought him back for the 20th anniversary jam issue that we did uh, in 2020. And, you know, I, I just, I just love the guy. I love working with him again, the visual aids are killing me. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a pip. I quite like working with Paulo. Nice. And Paolo, had you done uh, sequential art before? Is it like, what's your into comics? Um, yeah, well, um, I've done sequential art for, uh, like Guano Guy, which is another one that I worked on. I've done some short ones for him. And uh, uh, I had done, like I said, I, I did uh, some stuff for, for Drew. And uh, really, Drew helped me like cut my teeth into uh, getting my sequ sequential art better. Mm -hmm. And uh, so every time that I've done stuff for him, I've, I've gotten a little bit better every time. And uh, I really like the art that I that I did for this uh, crossover. I think it's some of my best work, and I, I feel like I'm only getting better. So I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping with future uh, projects, I just get better and better. I mean, that's what you that's what you hope for your yeah. collaborators that you both make each other uh, make each other better and expand each other's uh, skill sets. How many pages is this, Drew? So it is 16 pages of story, then we're going to have, uh, you know, a fan art section in the back, as well as some special feature type stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And there is a deluxe edition that has the pages that Dan drew uh, back when he was still going to draw it, as well as a uh, uh, Q code for an audio commentary and... Uh, even more, even more fun stuff that I, I can't mention it yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's also going to be total eventually four different color covers. We have a cover that Dan did, which is a really funny parody of an infamous Green Lantern, Green Arrow cover. <laughs> um, you know, Paulo, of course, did his own cover. Uh, another local rock star, Jeremy the Artist, JTA, he contributed a sort of very frank miller-esque it looks it looks far too serious to me for for the subject matter but it is a gorgeous cover and uh there we're, we're currently running a a contest for the fourth variant cover uh you know some people are contributing fan art of both of the characters and the winner is going to get that fourth variant cover so uh you know lots of lots of fun stuff in this campaign lots of lots of great talent involved with it too that is a thing. That is a thing that happens sometimes. Uh, the great uh, Francesco uh, uh, Francavia did covers for my uh, Elvira meets uh, Shape of Water thing, which was called the Shape of Elvira, and his covers were so hauntingly beautiful. I was just like, you realize this is a comedy book, right? Like this, the, these these are gorgeous, beautiful, haunting covers, and people are going to open them and find this nutty, you know, bunch of goofy jokes. Um, which made me want to, that was actually where I got the idea to do Elvira meets Swamp Thing, which I hope I um, someday get to get off the ground. I but, would read the hell out of that. Who wouldn't? 
Who would, yeah. I would admit my primary motivation is I just want Elvira to call John Constantine Sting and just, nice. make, <laughs> just make a bunch of jokes about, you know, don't stand so close to me, John Constantine. Um, you know, because uh, I think I feel like she would be relentless with his resemblance to Sting, particularly in the 1980s when uh, he was originally introduced and he was unambiguous. He looks, he looks less like Sting, doesn't he? Like over yeah, time. Yeah, over time, yeah. They've, uh, they've dropped that and He's just any scuzzy Englishman, you know, yeah. and smoking. Yeah. I, I, sorry. No, go ahead. I, I'm rereading Crisis on Infinite Earths for the first time in about a decade. And, and a Constantine pops up in a couple of panels. And when I saw him, like, it was jarring how much he looked like Sting. Because I was yeah. like, oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's the one panel where he's playing a lute, even. And it was like, it was uncanny. <laughs> There's a there is a lot of uh, if you go back rain, and, rain sticks around and it was, yeah. if, you look at, if you look at the Tottlebin uh, Bissett drawings from the original Swamp Thing it's he's super on model like you can even recognize what publicity photo of Sting they used as reference <laughs> he does, at one point he is uh, he is paddling a boat that says Gordon Sumner on the back of it so it's like they they weren't they they weren't Alan Moore wasn't kidding like I don't know if he's the world's biggest police fan or if he hates them like it's very hard to, one of those two things is true it's it, just, could, it could it could be both also it is just kind of funny to think of alan moore sitting writing swamping scripts listening to you know fortress around your heart and weeping over his typewriter <laughs> it's, it's just a hard visual for me to let go of but uh what what, what, what yeah what strikes me hearing all this is that there is there is nothing cooler uh and more sort of engaging than opening your your property a property that is you know very much yours to fan art right to other okay. um to 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 other artists uh uh bringing their take in i mean it's um you, you know i mean seeing seeing all these artists do elvira particularly because i mean there is a particularly in comics avaloni certainly has a um you know Ownership isn't the right word, but but you you are a shepherd of Elvira, and you have been for for a long time. And so there is this uh, there is the, you are protective of it, and 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 and, and there is this. Um, I mean, I think that you've talked about being like a step parent of the turtles, like you know you, you you're, you're almost um, you're almost an adoptive parent of Elvira right now. But 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 when it's really when it's really yours, it's something that that sprung from your mind. And then it's like, okay, uh, open season now, right? Uh, come on in, show me what you got. And it's amazing what people get right, what people get horribly wrong. Uh, uh, the 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 new elements, the new dynamics that that an artist can bring to a character, right? Um, that really open your mind up and get you asking other questions about the character. You've lived with this character for for years now. Uh, but a piece of art can come through and you're like, you know what? I never thought about that. <laughs> that might be an issue in the future, right? Um, for me, you know, for me, there, there, has, there has been fan art over the years, right? And, and, you know, it'll come in kind of piece by piece. Um, the deluge really, and this wasn't, this wasn't a fan art situation, but when, when I released Suicide Jockeys, SourcePoint Press has a, um, they have a uh, retailer, exclusive variant program and so so re retailers all across the country could sign up to have their own exclusive variant cover of suicide jockeys and um and sometimes they were bringing an artist in sometimes they would come to us and be like hey who do you like and source point you know hooks them up with an artist or i hook them up with an artist 
Um, I'm working with some of the artists on these. Sometimes they're coming out of left field. And so there were all these Suicide Jockeys covers coming in. Um, and like, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like about, I feel like about 50% of them are, are very similar where it's like, let's have a heroic pose and like a, a, <laughs> a ship flying behind them. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and, and so there are those. And, and again, I mean, beautiful art and stuff like that, but, um, but yeah, there were some really interesting, challenging, different ones, you know, and, uh, you know, ones that felt like they, you know, it was like a still from a Bergman film or something like that. Um, you know, the, the, the book is, it's a, it is a comedic tokusatsu book, but it also deals seriously with alcoholism and personality disorder and all of these things. So it was funny to see the people who leaned into the comedy and the people who leaned into, oh, this is a, this is a treatise on alcoholism, <laughs> you know? Um, so seeing those two things was, was really amazing. And then, and then again, there are the people that just get it wrong. There was a, there was one cover and it may be the most beautiful piece of art uh, in the entire collection of Suicide Jockeys covers, but I have I have these two female characters, right? Uh, there was an African-American female character and there's an Asian female character. Um, and basically this artist did a, just sort of smashed them together. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and so you look at it and it's kind of both of them, but not either of them, you know? And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was trying to be pretty loose about the whole cover thing, but I kind of stepped in on that one and I'm like, uh, guys. Yeah. And, and they were like pushing back. They, they were pushing back at me with it. They're like, oh no, no, it looks like her. And I'm like, uh, okay, I, <laughs> I, I created the book, right? Um, you know, and and uh, you know, and, and also I think there's a there, there's a racial element that is a white man. I'm maybe not, uh, you know, prepared to fully speak on, but you know, I don't think this is okay. Um, and so uh, anyway, mixed bag. It, it can be this delightful experience. It can be this troubling experience. You're you're opening up the floodgates to this thing that is yours, like that you've protected, right? And to see what comes in is always entertaining. It's always disturbing. It's always yeah. Thankfully, we haven't had anything like like that. Like the like the the, the stuff. I'm I'm pr I, I am pretty loose with the Halloween. I've I've gotten more more strict, honestly in more recent years on on trying to keep things on on model with the halloween man characters but you know the comic is 22 years old yeah. and um so there by by virtue i've worked with a lot of different artists and i've i've just seen like a lot of different versions and of course there's the ones that live up in my in my head um but because i've been doing this so long i also know that you you got to leave room for collaboration like there there has been some 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 interesting ones um because like you know particularly like there there was an artist who did a beautiful piece but like halloween man is like he's just like built like arnold schwarzenegger like back in the 80s he's just this huge guy and i you know like in my head like i don't think of him as like jack skellington slender which is the way a lot of people want to draw him yeah. you know but i don't think of him as like huge either i think of him kind of you know not to bring up another alan moore reference but like more more in like that that sort of rorschach space of like a, a small dangerous man you know like that that kind of thing but uh you know it's interesting to see people's different versions on this and with the the latex avenger characters I know, Paulo. Like you, you, you've said that you've had like a challenge. Like, you, you, you were trying to make you know my characters were were a little bit more ser I'm serious. Like, yeah, gel with more, these characters. 
they're, they're more like adventure, like a, adventure uh, comics, and adventure comics are drawn differently than say like slapstick comedy kind kinds of characters that uh, Latex Avenger is. So yeah, I had to I had to find a good medium between the two, and so I had to bring uh, a Halloween man down a little bit uh, to the cartoony level and bring Latex Avenger up to that adventure comic uh, scale so they can meet. So it looks believable that they'd be standing next to each other kind of thing. So that was really awesome to do. But it was funny uh, when uh, they were talking about um, the having variant covers, having different issues that you never thought of before uh, on your characters. I remember I was talking to Drew not too long ago about how um, uh, on Halloween Man has a bone arm and uh but he has it, it i mean in his sleeve it looks like he has an arm so how far does the bone arm go up his arm you know and and what's funny is that uh, uh jeremy uh J jeremy the artist he actually drew the cover with his arm showing and i've seen other covers with uh with their arm showing and some people do it where it, it's it's a whole arm except for the hand uh, but what I really liked about Jeremy's is that it was the forearm was uh, bone and uh, just the the other part of the arm was wasn't. But uh, I was telling Drew that my theory is that his arm regenerates and, and decomposes <laughs> constantly. So it, it sometimes it's one way or the other. And that that's what's canon for me. And acceptable. You, acceptable idea in my yeah. mind that's a, that's a good that's a good retcon to cover all exigencies of how it's been drawn before i yeah. talked about this a little before though i think that you know it wasn't until i became a professional comic book writer that i realized why the covers and the interior stories barely ever matched when i was a kid reading comics in the 70s and it's because the solicitation has to go out four months ahead of the issue yeah, 99% of the time, the writer hasn't even written the script. Forget the thing being drawn. So maybe they asked the writer, what do you think, you know, Unknown Soldier 123 is going to be? And he said, I, I, he steals an airplane from the Germans or some damn thing. And, you know, Joe Kubert draws some incredible thing of a guy hanging off the bottom of an airplane. And you're like, well, that doesn't actually happen at any point in the issue. But I've had a couple of great experiences, particularly with cover artist named John Royal, because because a fair amount of the comics I do have been like pinuppy <clears throat> heroes, he'll do pinup covers with various circumstances on them, and I go, "That's a pretty good idea for an issue." Like before, I've thought of anything. There is an entire arc of Elvira where she went up against a cabal of witches, and it was John had done a random cover of her on a witch's broom flying through the night with rocket exhaust coming out of the back of it, and I went. That's a fantastic fucking scene, Elvira on a on a witness room. Let's do well, let's do that. So I had no thought in my mind about what was gonna happen in Elvira nine through twelve. I was in the middle of writing a very heavy arc with that, and that cover came through as a potential for nine, and I went, Okay, Elvira versus witches, that's nine through twelve, that'll do it. And you know, it, that's a very 1970s way to write comic books, but I'm not against it. You know, yeah. like I'm uh, you know, a, a good idea is a good idea. Uh, well, I, it, yeah, yeah. I, I think when you're writing an ongoing series, particularly if you're like Drew, and I, I mean, you've been doing Elvira for a long time. Drew has been doing, you know, this book for 22 years. Um, I mean, 
you, you have to keep your ear to the ground, right? You have to listen to what the series is telling you, what the character is telling you. I've told this story on here before, but it's a similar thing where um, there is the, the uh, basically the third build character in Aberrant, uh, this guy Rook, who is kind of the monstrous guy with the, uh, the burlap sack on his head. Um, he was not in my mind when I, when I created the series. Um, I, I, I had no thoughts of him at all. And then I am in the middle of writing issue uh, two and the protagonist, David, is sitting down with the general at a bar and they're having this conversation. And basically the general is telling him, look, man, you know, if you try and leave right now, the army is going to come after you. And David says, let him come. And the general says something to the effect of, trust me, you don't want to know what the army has like waiting in the basement to uh, to come after you. Um and it was just a throwaway line. It sounded cool. It was like, you know, don't, it was a don't fuck with us line. It was a different way of saying don't fuck with us. But I stopped. I hit the brakes right there. And I'm like, wait a minute. What does the army have waiting in the basement to come after this guy? Right. And, 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 you know, and I stopped writing for a day and I walked around and I thought about, okay, well, well, yeah, what would they have? And why is it there? And who is it? And I came up with this character, Rook, who became like the fan favorite character. You know, I mean, he was like, I mean, he was so beloved that I had to, um, by the time I got to issue eight, issue eight is a, a kind of standalone Rook story. Um, and, and again, it is this guy that I planned this 10 issue series. He wasn't even in my fucking mind when, when, when I sold the series, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but, but I think that when you were doing an ongoing series, whether it's TV, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing this TV show now and it's, um, you, you listen to the material, you know, you're, you're midway through writing the fourth episode and suddenly like the entire second season just pops out of the ether you know it's, it's, it's and, it can, and it can happen pretty fast i mean you know uh man from uncle wasn't called the men from uncle it was called the man from uncle and it was going to be about napoleon solo and Ilya kiriakin was a very minor character as a couple of lines in the first episode but their chemistry was so great and mccallum is a handsome dude and he's very charming and by like the fourth episode it's a two-hander you know like it becomes about Ilya kiriakin and napoleon solo together and I think that happens in any sequential thing. You don't, you can plan something, but then you go out and you shoot the episodes or you write the series and you draw the series. And then you go, you know what? I think we need to see way more of this dude and way less of that dude. Yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, and sometimes like, the, you know, I, the first season of Parks and Recreation does not resemble the third season in any way, shape or form, including her lover, her love interest vanishing into thin air because he was dull as dirt. And that yeah. wasn't the actor's fault. They just didn't, you know, yeah. they didn't know how to write the guy. They didn't have anything good for him. So they got rid of him and swapped in, you know, made a star out of Adam uh, Scott. Yeah. Uh, and, Eventually, you know, yeah. Yeah. because he had great chemistry with her and they, it was a much better character and the characters were a more interesting fit together. So you just always, uh, you know, you always, you were, as Rylan said, you, the material tells you, where it goes and why it should go there. Yeah, well, Je you know, Je Jesse Pinkman was supposed to die in the first season of Breaking Bad, you know, and and they're like, hey, wait a minute, this guy is fucking awesome. <laughs> like, we, we 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 can't get rid of this guy. This is a two-hander now, you know. I mean, go, go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry. I, I... So, well, I was just saying the thing about about working on this, uh, the 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 Halloween Man Latex Avenger thing, is. You know, the, the, this was almost like an oil and water chemistry experiment because, like, you had like Halloween Man started out as more of a humor book, but it certainly didn't stay that way. It evolved into being more. I mean, it's still got its quirks, but it's it's 
more dramatic. Whereas like Latex Avenger is a character that would feel completely at home in the universe of the tick. Like he's, he's absurd. And you know, so a lot of people have asked me, it's like, Oh, was it difficult to, to co-write something with somebody, you know, it, it, and I'm like, no, it wasn't because I wrote up the script and then I sent it over the Dan and he basically re rewrote all of latex Avengers lines because he knows his characters and all, all of that, uh, you know, like I think people are going to read this and they're, they're going to come off thinking, like the, 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 that this is just like batshit crazy because like it's two things that it's Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. It's like two things that, that come together and they shouldn't work, but they, they do. And like that, you know, we're, we're definitely, you know, the thing that Dan kept being concerned about is that when he was first writing Latex Avenger, you know, the culture was very different. And, you know, he was like, I don't want people to think that I, I I'm, t I'm trying to glorify this this moron wearing a rubber on his head and it's it's very much not that like you you laugh at him because he's an idiot um you 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 aren't supposed to um root for him in any way he's a buffoon um and i think in that respect it's very cathartic for our times to have a a guy that's probably a little bit too too confident and you know what have you um and now I kind of trailed off from my original thought. Don't you just love it when that happens? <laughs> but we digress. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I was going to say, though, it's an interesting thing. You know, an interesting aspect of that is you, you do have no control over the audience. And somewhere out there, there's a guy who thinks I'm just like Halloween Man and I love Halloween Man and I want to grow up to be Halloween Man or latex, latex event. There's nothing, you know, Carol O'Connor always said he would run into the occasional guy who would say, Archie Bunker is my hero. And he would think, I'm scared of you. You're probably a terrible person, but you know, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, and I, I mean, the, the way that we do, the way, enter, you know, the entertainment industry does business has changed. You, you couldn't do Archie Bunker right now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and it, there's, there's not room for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, uh, I mean, it's a note I get all the time. I mean, I write action movies, right? And and so I, I have like a, a terrible sociopathic killer that I'm writing and I will write him doing something terrible and sociopathic and they'll be like, oh, well, well you can't do that. <laughs> it's like, why? Well, well, well that's wrong. And it's like, well, he, he's a terrible sociopath. That's the whole point. And these guys come and they they try and stop him. <laughs> but there are just certain, there are just certain lines you can't cross anymore. You know, uh, 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 I, it's partially because the audience, the media, Twitter, uh, does not see what they are not smart enough. Uh, they are not, um, they're not thinking hard enough to see what you're doing with Archie Bunker. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, it's, it's, they don't realize that you're doing a, a character and, and part of the writing process is having characters that bounce off each other yeah. and it creates drama when you have one character that is at odds. Yeah. Or, or in this case, comedy. But if you have one character that is odds with every, at odds with everybody yeah. else, I mean, yeah. you know, that goes back yeah. to the old Claremont X Men days. Like, you know, the the best Wolverine has ever been is when Cyclops and him hated each other, and right. you know, like you need you need that. But um, yeah. you know, it, it it's it's it. 
you, you always want to be sensitive to your readership, but you, you also you also have to you know be be true to yourself creatively. Yeah. Um, you know, I know Dan definitely says that he feels like that Latex Avenger in his own book is a lot. You know, the the comedy is much more blue than it is in this. Like he toned it down, but. Um, you know, the character is still the character, I guess. Yeah, still a guy wearing a condom, so you yeah. Know. I mean, you know, your mileage may vary. Clean that up without it, you know, being yeah. not a guy in a condom. Um, but yeah, it's a and and that gets to that we 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 touched on a, a a small pet peeve of mine, which is people quoting a character as if they were the author, mm -hmm. uh, someone yeah. who was probably trying to push an an advanced form of socialism on Twitter the other day, a uh, woman said, you know, if there is hope, it must lie in the proles. George Orwell. And I went, George Orwell did not say that. He wrote it for Winston Smith, his incredibly naive yeah. hero of 1984, who yeah. is about to get the shit kicked out of him for believing something so stupid. Uh, he also didn't believe that the future of humanity was a boot stomping on a human face forever, which is what his villain says a couple yeah. of chapters later. My favorite one is Shakespeare. The, there's a long, in Hamlet, Polonius gives a long speech of terrible, inane, self-contradicting advice. It is frequently quoted by people as good advice. Yeah. It, you know, neither a borrower nor a lender be. Yeah. Really? I don't think Shakespeare actually, if Shakespeare thought that was good advice, he would not have put it in the mouth of Polonius. Yeah. Like, well, you know, and so when people quote it unironically, I'm like, Boy, that is not what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just concentrating on text and not. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I mean, it's. It, it, I mean, we're in this. We're in this good meaty uh, uh, place right now with this discussion. So I want to push it a little bit. I mean, it's like there. There's this. Here's the thing: is to comment to comment on racism, you have to you have to be able to depict a racist character, and then you know, and then have him learn something. Or 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 have what he's saying be debunked or spiked like a volleyball in his or face, or just kick the shit out of him. Yeah, exactly. One of these things, but 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 there. But we're in this place right now as a society and as a Twitterverse more than anything, where 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 depicting racism uh, is is not taken any differently than straight racism, right? And 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 that's problematic. However, the other thing that is problematic is that. You know the the people that the, the the people behind Archie Bunker. You know, and I don't want to attribute it to one person because it was a group that brought that to the world. That that, that, that was that was a miracle. It was it was a genius effort, and I almost mm -hmm. and I think that you need a genius effort to yeah. carry that character off and and, and, and to not make it a, a, a you yeah. know to not, to not to glorify racism and all of those things. So it is a high wire act. Yeah. Um, the 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 problem in Hollywood right now is that um, I don't know people aren't smart enough. They're not taking the care to 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 say, hey, I trust this person. Let's let's right. try the high wire act. You know what I'm saying? Because because if we get to the other side, it's going to be fucking brilliant and it's going to affect people. It's going to it, it's going to be um, you know it's going to be the commentary we need as a society right now. Hollywood will not will not even you know they will not roll the dice on that. You get a little more of it on television, but I will say this for every Norman Lear or Mel yeah. Brooks out there, yeah, the world is full of people who use ironic sexism, ironic yeah, yeah. racism, and ironic homophobia just because they want to see say the n-word in their yeah, stuff. Yeah. 
yeah, just yeah, sure. they want to call someone yeah. the F word in there. You know, that that's the biggest problem is yeah. that you have like basically the edgy transgressive male comic of today is not Norman Lear, yeah. Is not Norman Lear. Prior. They yeah. just want to stand on the stage and shout yeah. N-word, N-word, N-word yeah. and get away with it. No, 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 I mock it. No, you're really yeah. not. You just, yeah, yeah. you just want the past to say that, dude, and we all see you. Yeah. Uh, I think the difference is that now you have, you can have television creators who do not look like Norman Lear writing about racism instead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A room, instead of it being a, a room full of middle-aged white guys writing about racism. Yeah. There's also a thing that I think is one of the most interesting movies about racism, and you will be surprised by what comes out of my mouth next. Star Trek Six gets Star away. Star Trek Six. Star uh, yeah. Trek Six gets away with having its main character, a beloved genre hero. Who ha we have seen him develop his racism against Klingons over 30 years. Yeah. We have seen them kill his son so that when he is told by Spock, who is a more sensitive person than he is, they're dying, and he says, let them die, it is painful to watch your friend be a fucking genocidal monster. And you go, holy shit. And a part of you goes, well, they did kill his son, and they are warlike, and blah, 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 but Spock's right. Yeah. And the movie is about how Spock's right and Kirk is wrong. You're and talking about the undiscovered Star Trek, yeah. the undiscovered country. You yeah. know, that is, a, that is an underrated Star Trek movie. It, I'll, I'll, that, I'll give you that I'm one. I'm fascinated yeah. by that movie because it's like, let's let our beloved main heroic main character have this racist chip on his shoulder that our audience has seen the justification, not that there can be justification, but we've seen where it comes from. So we don't immediately hate him for it when he says it. It's with the gasp-inducing line. And then two hours later, he can go, holy shit, I'm just as bad as these fucking fascist maniacs that didn't want peace. He, he, he learned something, you know, no. which is... And, 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 and that is that is kind of the one way to do it in today's climate is to make it about Klingons instead of... Well, and that's, I mean, Meta metaphor, yeah. metaphor it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's not you just know, I, climate. That famously, Rod Serling created The Twilight Zone because he wrote two teleplays about the yeah. murder of Emmett Till. They both got the guts ripped out of them. And he went, fuck it, Emmett Till's going to be a robot next time or an alien or, you know, a ghost. Yeah. And then they'll let me say whatever I want. And science yeah. fiction has always had that, <clears throat> that element and fantasy. I'm, 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 I want to, kick something over the polo here because i i am not a parent i have no kids uh at this point but you do and you know like dovetailing off of what we're talking about like you know first of all you're you're latino and you know like all this stuff like you're you're drawing this comic with you know a blowhard like like the latex avenger like do, do you did was there ever a point where you were like i don't know about what i'm doing here <laughs> like you know what am i what am i what legacy am i leaving for my my daughter all <laughs> no, right no i uh the thing is uh i uh i've been asked to draw some really bad stuff and in the beginning uh it it made it made me a little bit of money but i i decided to stop doing like lewd kind of drawings because of that, because I thought of my da my daughter and uh, if what if later on she sees those drawings that I did and she's going to be like, dad, what is this? 
And so I, I did take that into account. And so now it's a, uh, I'm a little more con conscious about conscious about the projects that I take on and, and what I'm drawing because she will see those later on, you know? And, uh, so latex Avenger is not uh, something that I worry about only because you're not supposed to like the character. Like he's obviously an idiot. Like, like you said, someone you're laughing at, uh, because he's an idiot. And uh, I like that aspect about it is that uh, I can point at him and be like, you see, that's the guys you don't talk to me, huh? Like, that's the guys you don't talk to. <laughs> so if teaching moment, right. a body size common, you should not talk to him. Right, right. If they're wrapping latex, probably not a good idea. Good assessment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's solid parenting, actually. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I wish my parents had told me to avoid a guy dressed like a novelty condom when I was when I was that age. I think I I think I would have turned out a lot a lot. I wouldn't be a comic book writer. I probably would have been a doctor or a lawyer or something. There you uh, go. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I will say, you know, my father was a writer and wrote a lot of sort of goofy stuff in the future. <clears throat> but you know, you 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 find your way into it if you can to say what you need to say with it. Um, you know, I was asked to the, just came out uh, when we're recording this Savage Tales came out and that's, I wrote an Alan Quartermain story. Alan Quartermain is a great white hunter in yep. 95 Africa. That is a tricky thing to write, but I read, I, I went back and looked at King Solomon's minds and Haggard, the author of the book, is a very interesting guy, you know, born and raised in Africa, uh, raised by missionary parents. And he has a very complicated, he's not pro-colonial and he's not pro-missionary. He's fallen in love with the continent and the people and he realizes all of the contradictions in it. It's way more modern than you think it is. And it made it easier for me reading that. It made me made it a little easier for me to write it. And but that thing is like, what story am I going to tell with him? I made it a story about missionaries being terrible people, and I I took it to its most ridiculous extreme. They're literally missionaries for Cthulhu. They're literally, <laughs> it's literally Cthulhu trying to sell itself in Africa. And I made it, you know, and again, like to, with with my various political axes to grind. Quatermain mentions in an offhand way that the Zulu tribesmen do not go for it at all, but the Afrikaans kind of buy in a little bit, uh, you know, which is my own set of, uh, you know, and I'll reverse the trope and say some of my best friends are Afrikaans, but, uh, you know, yeah, the white Dutch people kind of go for the evil death cult from outer space, uh, but, <laughs> but not, the, not, not the locals so much. Uh, but I but it's a ch it is a challenge to write characters from the late 19th century and I, not awful yeah. i have uh, one of one of my one of my favorite books is the lost world uh the doyle not the michael Crichton. Yeah. um and one of my characters uh lucy chaplin is actually related to a version of the professor challenger mm -hmm. character and Anytime you go back and you, and, and you know, Doyle, no doubt, thought of himself as, because there's a ton of like, quote unquote, anti-slavery stuff in, in, you know, the lost world. But, in, you know, I think Doyle, if you were to ask Doyle, like, I think he would think he was pretty, 
you know, open-minded and, and progressive, but there's tons of racist stuff in the lost world. And anytime you go back to, you know, those old adventure books, like that's just something you're like, I love them. And, and you know, I, I, David, I know, you know, you know, this as well. Like you do kind of have to wrap your, your brain around the viewpoints of the time, even, mm -hmm. even for people who, who thought of themselves as liberal minded people have some, some backwards uh, views and, you know, as, as creators and, and writers and artists ourselves working in contemporary times, you know, we have to wonder, you know, if we remember it at all, you know, what will future generations think of, think of our work? Because, you know, what we think of Doyle now, you know, yeah, could be how somebody looks at, not that I'm as good of a writer as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, but like, you know, yes. people definitely could go back and go, oh, that Drew Edwards, he had some some pretty ass backwards uh, viewpoints. On yeah, it, it, it is the, I, I mean, there is a lot wrong with with Twitter culture and the conversations that are happening right now. But the great thing that has come out of all of this is that, you know, we, people like us are having these conversations. I mean, and, 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 and when we sit down to write Alan Quartermain, the first question is, okay, well, what am I putting out into the world? Like yeah. what, what was, what has been wrong with the, the franchise for decades? Uh, how can I, how can I course correct that a little bit? Just, yeah. just, 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 just move it to the side just a littlest bit, um, uh, you know. So the next guy, the next gal, uh, uh, can can move it another inch. Um, I mean, that's really interesting. I think you know. Uh, uh, I mean, as a you know, uh, piggybacking on what Paula was saying. I mean, I, I have a five year old daughter, and so I am very conscious of that. You know, what is um, you know, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a little I'm a little loose with what she watches, but um, you know, but I do want to make sure that um. You know, I I would like to. Uh, I'm an entertainer, but I also want to make the world a better place, right? And and we don't need any more hate and bile and fucking nonsense being spit into it, right? And so that's very important to me. It's funny. I mean, this was this has been an ongoing battle uh, in my career, even before I had a kid. And when you have a kid, it, it changes the lens of of everything, certainly. But um, for me, like the first big deal was um, one of the weirder and less explored, less talked about lines of my bio is that I happen to be an ordained Soto Zen Buddhist monk. And we could do a whole show on that. I won't get too deep into it. But, um, but uh, you know, there, there are these things called the Buddhist precepts, these 10 precepts that you sort of live by. And, 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 and um, you know, one of them, there is this precept against the use of intoxicants, right? And it gets interpreted 8 million different ways. The beauty of the precepts is they're not they're not these hard and fast. Uh, uh, they're not. They're not like the the Christian commandments, right? Uh, the the precept work is about finding the right gray gray area. Jewish commandments. Uh, there, there, there you go. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, well done. Um, but so so the intoxicants uh, precept gets interpreted any number of ways, and sometimes it's like, okay, well, don't drink alcohol, don't use drugs. Uh, some people interpret it as just don't make your living selling alcohol or drugs. Um, some people take it, uh, further. And so my first teacher was this guy, Thich Nhat Hanh, who was kind of this legendary, uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk, uh, MLK nominated him for the, for the Nobel Peace Prize. 
uh, uh, years ago, and he's maybe the most prolific Buddhist author around. You know, has 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 great books everywhere. Um, but he was really, really intense about this precept, and 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 he he lived by this principle that everything could be intoxicating, and so it's not just about drugs and alcohol. Uh, the the TV we watch, the books we watch, um, uh, all of these things can be intoxicating, and so we need to be very careful about what we're you know, I mean, one, what we are, what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're putting in our bodies, what we're putting in our minds, but also, you know, very, very intensely what we are then putting out in the world. And so if you are a writer, if you are a guy like me who makes his living writing fucking action movies, uh, that becomes a very twisted and very difficult proposition with which to wrestle, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, there was this... Um, I don't know. There was this period of time where I was really wrestling with this a lot. Like, okay, well, am I, am I corrupting minds? I, I, I write action movies. I, you know, I just, I just wrote a movie where literally a hundred people got gunned down. Right. <laughs> and so what the fuck am I doing? Am I a drug dealer? Basically like tick that how might say that I am. And so I, I, I worked on this a lot with various teachers and um, you know, where we came to in the end, I think it was a really good place where um you know, I had two separate teachers and separate circumstances say the exact same things to me. Like, look, somebody is going to write action movies, right? Uh, and, and I would rather it be you, somebody who is is asking these questions. What am I putting out into the world? Like, is this is this good? Is this the right message? Is this good for society? You know, the people writing action movies should be asking those questions and they're not. And so it is this huge victory for the good guys that that you're the person drawing this book that i'm the person writing this action movie that we're the people doing this show all of these things you know um and that it's like uh it's, it's like uh the the best leader are the people that don't want to be the leader or that don't want to lead they yeah. end up being the best leaders yeah. because they question themselves yeah yeah and and and, and so it, it, you know, so i think is you know if, if we're if we're waking up every morning uh, and with every decision, we're we're just asking that question: Is this making the world a better place? Is this good for society? Is this moving us forward one step? Um, uh, you know, I I think that um, I mean, you know, one step turns into a thousand steps, and suddenly we're we're you know suddenly we've moved a mile, and 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 you know if we can keep uh, I don't know if we can keep things moving in that direction, I think we're going to be in good shape. So, well, you know, like with with me. You know, and I say this is like bona fide hillbilly, you know, white, you know, cis male, whatever. Like one of the things I, I told myself, you know, like I, I can't control the entire world, but I can control my sphere of influence. I can control what I put out there. I can control who I hire to work with. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those in those little ways, I can make the world a little bit better. You know, also, I can control the characters when... That, that I that I create because like a good example of this is you know years ago there's a character in my comic a recurring character called Shark who is a, a demonologist and uh, originally the character when I first came up with the character was going to be a white male and at the the last moment I was just like well this is just this is just Peter Cushing and all the Dracula movies like this is this is this we've already this character already exists this character has been done a bunch of times so i ended up changing the character to an, an Afri african-american woman and, and suddenly the character i became much more interesting to me and i think that's something that we as creatives need to think about is you know like 
what what who are we creating is it representative you know like what 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 are we doing to create a more you know not just you know diverse landscape with our with our hiring pro you know policies because i do try to to bring in people that work for me i do try to work with people from you know marginalized groups and things like that but also you know do we when we're coming up with characters like do we need to create another you know white cis male character and like when oh, we can but also it's just good writing i mean you know the whole joke is the whole joke about forced diversity is there is no such thing the world is diverse the only thing that's forced is the lack of diversity yes uh you know i when i was i've told i think i've said this before when i was growing up i would always hear that federico fellini's movies were full of freaks and then i saw them and i went no, they're full of the people you would find on a bus in Midtown Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, other movies are full of freaks. Uh, a Hollywood movie where everyone is a supermodel of one type or another, that's a movie full of freaks. A movie with fat people and short people and tall people and thin people and ugly people and handsome people, like that's, the, that's just the world. Yes. A, a friend of mine, great writer named Bo Smith, who created uh, Winona Earp. Love Bo. Someone asked, great Bo guy. Once, you know, and Bo, you know, Bo's, Bo's a great guy. Bo's an open-hearted guy. Someone asked him, you know, were you making a feminist statement when you made it the main character of Winona Earp, a woman? And he said, you know, I'd love to take credit for that. But ultimately, the question I asked myself was, what's the boring version of this? Well, the boring version of this is that the great, 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 great grandkid of Wyatt Earp is just another dude like Wyatt Earp. The interesting thing is if it's a woman, like right there, that's just a more interesting choice for my 20th century, late, late 20th, early 21st century demon killing gunslinger is that it not just be Wyatt Earp. Uh, so why not make it a woman? And, and that's really what it comes down to is, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, director commentary things, speaking of unjustly maligned movies, when Connery is going up to meet the two uh, bodyguards of Willard White in Diamonds Are Forever, on the commentary, uh, director Guy Hamilton said, so in the script, Sean is supposed to run into some big fellow and they fight and it's a thing. He's like, and we've seen it. Haven't we seen Sean fight with enough big fellows? Like, I was watching the Olympics with my wife and I saw a couple of female gymnasts and they were teenage girls and the things they were doing, I was like, these women are terrifying so that movie has a scene where two 90 pound gymnasts beat the crap out of john connery and it's funny and it's hilarious and it's also a little scary in a way that him just tangling with odd job one more time we did we had that scene earlier in the same movie as a matter of fact and that so that good writing i always say good, the holy grail of good writing is you come to that moment well okay willard white has to have guards we need a fight scene here. It's been about 10 minutes since Sean punched anybody or did any judo or drove a car. What's the fun thing? Yep. So the fun thing is a couple of 90 pound girls beat the crap out of him because we've never actually seen that before. And I think as a, as any kind of writer, but particularly as an action adventure writer, it's always, what have I not seen someone do before? Oh, I haven't seen that exact thing before. 
Yeah, it, it, it's the uh, that opening scene of uh, the opening flashback of the Black Panther movie. You know, they get the knock on the door. You know, it's not two gangster looking guys out the 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 people. He, he looks at the people and it's like, who is it? It's it's two Grace Jones looking chicks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's awesome. You know, yeah. no, and that's the and but so that's what I you know it's it's it, the funniest thing about it is that what people call forced diversity turns out to just be a reflecting the real world as it exists and be much better writing. Uh, you know, when you see, I mean, you know, I, I've talked about this a million times, but I read recent, I reread foundation about 10 years ago and Isaac Isamov writing a book about a man who can perfectly predict the future, predicts a future in which there are no women in politics, in the military, in academics, the world at the time, he, and that's not just bad science fiction. And he wrote it in 1947. Wow. Like there was a female prime minister of India. You know, I mean, like, you know, the, the, there, it wasn't an unheard of thing for a woman to be in politics or a woman to be a soldier. Like there were women in the army in World War II. And he can't imagine a military officer that's a woman. And it's appalling. And I will say that in later books, he corrected that but it's just one of those things of like it really comes down to you know i don't think george lucas sat down and writes star wars and goes you know there's definitely not going to be any black people in this movie definitely got to make sure there are no black people i think he just lacks the imagination to imagine that any of these people are black that's one of the funniest things i remember reading fairly recently the usual gang of trolls and idiots talking about the black inquisitor character on obi-wan kenobi and forced diversity and i was like you know who the biggest forced diversity guy in the entire friggin world is it's lando calrissian everybody saw star wars and went this has no black people in it and he shoehorned billy d williams in there as fast as he could uh to make up for that and good <laughs> you know yeah, also lando rules the awesome. world world got better because a bunch of people that said to George Lucas, what the fuck, man? There are no black people in your Star War. You know, you know uh, I, yeah. I, I gotta say well, awesome. <laughs> Billy um, D works every works time. Every works. time. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I when, 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 we, when we came on here to talk about my comic book where a, a zombified redneck meets up with a uh, superhero dressed as a a condom. I did not think that we were going to have such deep discussions. So this is this has been interesting. <laughs> it, it, it's how you win a telly, man. That's <laughs> it's, it's, it's how we do it. Righto. Show the award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never miss an opportunity. But no, look, I'm, I'm I'm always evangelizing for better writing. <laughs> you know. And for more sensitivity mm. to the actual world as it exists. And, you know, I've seen it in my old writing, in my own writing. There was a script I wrote in 2005, 2006. Um, and I, it was supposed to get off the ground in 2008, never got made. And I went back and looked at it about two or three years later than that. And like almost every minor character in it was a white dude. And it was just sheer laziness. Well, they, they they always tell you write what you know but yeah. i do think i do think that eventually does turn into laziness because mm -hmm. like you're not doing the work which is you know in part you know going around looking at the world looking at other people observing people 
And it doesn't matter if you're writing something that's that's like completely like you know what the stuff I write it could never actually happen but it has to have those touchstones in the yeah. real world or you're never going to be able to relate yeah and it, it's it's not just a but, but but here's the thing is it's not just you know the the write what you know thing it's not just a matter of our personal experience I mean it's also it's like well you know literally every movie every tv show that we grew up with you know you grew up with friends and it's like uh, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of pretty white people right and so it's like okay well well that's all i've seen on tv and, and on the movie screen my entire life and and that's where george lucas was it's like okay well this is what movies are so i'm gonna go and i'm gonna write you know that movie and it's like every once in a while it's like oh well you know well you know we need to throw the funny black guy in right so 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 <laughs> let me do that or you know uh, here's the um you know, uh, yeah. Here, here's the ludicrously attractive uh, woman who is the one woman in in, in the movie, right? Um, and so, and so we are we are fighting against not just you know not just people's like actual personal real life experience, but like a hundred years of film and television, right? That have conditioned us to 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 behave a certain way, and and uh, it's it's it really is a crazy psychological Rubik's cube to to solve, and. and and, and, you know, I always think about, you know, I'm Italian American and Jewish on my Italian American on my father's side and Ukrainian Jewish on my mother's side. And the degree of self-censorship, I always think about how when De Niro plays an Italian American, he's playing a villain. And when he plays an Irishman, he's playing a hero, mm -hmm. like 90% of the time. I remember watching Midnight Run and thinking, you couldn't have just had them change this character name to Morello, like that would have killed you. Like he had, because he's a, a an ex cop and a good guy, he, he can't be Italian like you are. Like you can't, my father created a, a private eye in the 1950s and gave him an Anglo last name and an Anglo background because he didn't think, you know, Mickey Spillane is out there writing Mike Hammer. You know, none of these guys are, Mike Hammer or Ed Noon, they're Spillane and Avalone and they, you know, they, they have names that are different and it's, you know, it, it, it's just that, that self-censor, you know, John Stewart comes along 20 years after Mel Brooks, but he's still changing that last name. Yeah. Uh, well, there's yeah. the, there's the great Will Eisner quote about the spirit, about how he was like, I know, I knew Denny Colt was Jewish, even though he had a, he had a white guy, name and you know i think a lot of people you know especially prior to to the 21st century but in the 20th century sir like a lot of people stealthed their backgrounds into the character much in the way oh, like yeah. the the thing is from the fantastic four well, is a quintessentially jewish character in a lot of ways but he wasn't actually canonly jewish until the the 20 the 21st century which is a yeah. bit well, and, crazy and I, to think about. There is also a lot of coding, for want of a better word, because those guys are writing what they know. And what they know is the New York that my father grew up in, not, you know, the New York of friends. And I've, mm -hmm. I've read people saying, you know, Peter Parker is definitely coded as Jewish. Mm -hmm. You know, white kid who lives in Queens, even in the 60s, you know, it, it that, that, and, and the white, you know, the Groucho Marx wisecracking and all of that. And I grew up absolutely firmly convinced that Nick Fury, back when he was white Nick Fury, the World War II veteran and spy, absolutely coded as Italian-American. 
the way he looks, the way he dresses, the way he acts, everything about him is coded as Italian American. Uh, and I think, and here's a little irony for you. I didn't cry at all when they made him black. I think that's fine. Sam Jackson is great, but there are no Italian American Marvel heroes. Is that is that true? Not one. There are, you know, a half dozen African American or Af literally African, but there aren't any actual actually any Italian American. I guess I they guess the closest is the Punisher. Yeah, and the Punisher, Frank Castle. He's 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 anglicized his name, and also he's a psychopath. Yeah. So, yeah, like, he's a villain. like, I'll take George Conway's uh, word for it that he's a fucking villain. Uh, yeah. and he's introduced yeah. as a Spider-Man villain, but I think it's a funny thing that it's like that. My yeah. favorite cult TV show of all time is Crime Story, and one of the reasons I love that show is the main characters, the heroic main characters, are an Italian American and a Jewish lawyer, an Italian cop and a Jewish uh, DA, and. You'd be shocked how unusual that is. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd be shocked at how not common that is, even mm -hmm. in what is considered to be a very Jewish industry. But it's an industry of Jews hiding behind, uh, you know, when they when it when the industry is founded in the 20s and 30s and really takes off. Judaism is not a thing you're putting on the screen uh, in any way, shape or form. So it's an you know, it's an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. So it's something that I'm conscious of also of like give the yeah. Italian kids someone to look up to. Yeah. I mean, the thing is it's out of our hands a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the machine is stacked against us because you, you give the, the Winona Earp example is very interesting. It's, it, I mean, that, that is the exact question, you know, again, writing action movies for a living. That is the, I've asked that question of a million scripts, right? It's like, okay, well, if this is another, if this is Bruce Willis, you know, like uh, how is that interesting? How is it different? Than, than anything we've ever seen. And so the number of times that in, in my, my I, I, I write with a partner a lot in film and TV, and he's really on top of this stuff where it's like, you know what, um, you know, this, this, this action movie uh, we're doing, what if, you know, it, it, I mean, we wrote Extraction before Extraction came out. And there was actually a whole, uh, um, you know, legal thing that I can't get into, but, but, um, but we're writing extraction and, it, it, you know, and of course it's like, okay, well, uh, they end up putting fucking Thor in the movie, right? Chris Hemsworth. Right. And, and that's exactly what you fucking expect out of that movie. But um, when we were pushing that boulder up the hill, you know, uh, uh, you know, years before it was like, okay, well, what if, what if, a, you know, what if a woman had to get her kid out of a foreign country? Right. Uh, what if it was a what if it was a black guy that had to go to Russia and 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 he stuck out like a sore thumb, you know all of these uh, you know all of these things where, where where you could really you could really play with gender norms and and uh, and, and and racial tensions uh, overseas and all of these things we were exploring these really interesting elements, and we would have that shit spiked like a volleyball in our face, being like okay well. If it's you know if it's a black guy we can only you know we can maybe cast two people you know if you make it a white guy in his uh, in his late thirties then you know there are twenty different guys we could cast and we can get the movie made you know it's like oh a woman nobody wants to see an action movie with a woman you know we had one last year you know uh, uh, you, you know we don't need another one for ten years you know I mean this is how people think these were the things that that that, that people told us and we had to we had to go to the Justin Lins we had to go to the F Gary Grays to be able to put. African American people in our movies to 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 put Asian people in our movies that that, that that is how dense it is and how difficult it is even when you're thinking about this stuff even when you as a writer want to make that choice you have a million people 
uh, uh, pushing back on it. It's like, no, white guys in their 30s, white guys in their 40s, white guys in their 30s, white guys in their 40s, over and over and over. That thing of you're helped out when when there's a breakout star who's not a white dude. I think about this, like there's currently finally a Joe Leaphorn television show. Yeah. Uh, They made a movie, a bad one with Lou Diamond Phillips, who is, of course, Filipino, not American Indian, um, a bunch of years ago. But Zach McLaren, the star of it, definitely a Native American gentleman, he's been like the third or second lead in a half dozen TV series. And I think you only make dark wins now because you go, you know what? Zach McLaren has now been enough television that we can create a television show about an American Indian. Like we now have a guy who's familiar enough to television because he was on Fargo. He was on this, he was on that, that we now, we now can make, put this guy in the center of the story instead of him being a supporting actor. And I really think that there are projects out there like dark wins that are waiting for the movie star to come along who fits the character from the book? The, 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 yeah, I mean the TV show, the TV show that we just sold, you know. Um, uh, yeah, we, we, yeah, to be Diggs, you know, uh, uh, blew up with Hamilton, and suddenly we had a go TV show, and we have you know Emmy Raver Latman from uh, from Umbrella Academy and Rafael Casal uh, from Blind Spotting, and suddenly we can have some non white people <laughs> in our, in our TV show, you know, uh, but, but you, you need that element. I mean, we, we could not, we could not sell this TV show without them. And, and I could not have sold those movies without Justin Lin, without F Gary Gray. You need um, uh, it's um, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, what I will say is that I can feel it changing. Uh, yeah. There's, there's less pushback than there was two years ago, five years ago, certainly 10 years ago. And, and, and that's great. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, it's, it's, it is the beauty of the pandemic. I mean, there's been there's been so much horror, and we're still experiencing it. Uh, and, and and there is a a social and political civil war happening right now that we won't get too too far into. But I do believe that we have uh, both good and bad aged uh, uh, socially and politically as a society about ten years over the course of the last two. And so 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 the there's been gasoline poured on this fire, and so we we have. We have advanced in the film business in terms of these discussions, but but Drew, you're you're looking at chime in. Yeah. I I well I I I I I feel like I'm I keep kicking stuff over the Apollo, but but like I like I I've been thinking about you know the stuff that we're we're batting around here, and you know in Texas, um, unsurprisingly, a lot of a lot of the comic book creators come from the the latino you know latinx you know that that community and i wanted to know like like is is this something that you feel like person like you want to tell those stories like or do you or are you just in it for like like what 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 are you bringing to the table i guess when you're when you're looking like putting your your background into things I, I actually thought of it a lot. Uh, I remember uh, you guys were talking about how uh, uh, the names that you see on on uh, on these characters and stuff like that, they, they change them. Um, I, I was actually astonished to like be, having a last name like Hernandez. I know millions of Hernandezes and I'm not related to like probably <laughs> most of them, you know, and uh, it, what's funny is that I, I remember the first time I actually saw the name Hernandez like on the big screen 
And I was like astonished, like, oh my God, I've never seen that. That's crazy. And then to think, wait, I've met like several Hernandezes. Why is this the first time I'm like getting shocked that I'm seeing it on the big screen? Like that was kind of a weird thing. But uh, um, no, the uh, I do try to put my uh, background. I, I actually have a story that I'm really passionate about that I want to do later on. Uh, is and it's about the maquiladora killings uh, in in Juarez, which is was a a big part of that uh, of that area, a thing that was happening. And I mean, it affected like my mom and and stuff like that, you know. And it's uh, I, I really think that that would be really cool to do. But because I moved away from uh, El Paso when I was about nine to come to Austin. Uh, I'm not like, I'm not a writer. Uh, I just think of the story and I, I really like the story that I got so far, but I do want to get a writer from that area because sure. I want to, ex you know, have that more of that experience of that area to be put into the book. And I know that that's experience that I don't have because I moved away when I was nine, but I, do like the story enough that uh, so yeah I, I think about uh, putting that sort of thing in and uh, in other aspects of uh, uh, like the stories that I tell and things that I can control like uh, not so much like uh, if I'm drawing for someone else but definitely on the stories that I I want to tell yeah well I, yeah. I you know I think you know that desire to be fair and accurate and real is a strong one. And, you know, even when I got the Alan Quatermain assignment, it's an eight page story. And I was like, are you really going to spend three days reading up on like learning everything you can about Natal, South Africa to write an eight page action story? And I was like, yeah, I kind of have to, because otherwise I'll feel like a friggin' fraud that doesn't know that's wandering around a map, you know, and I went to Google Maps and looked at the area that I was writing about. I wrote a friend who born and raised in Joburg and said, can you tell me about the beaches in Natal? And, you know, like, because otherwise you're a fraud and you're you're just talking out your ass. When I, I did a Zorro story and I honestly, when I took the assignment, part of the joy for me was like, I get to learn about turn of the century, you know, turn of the 19th century Los Angeles. This is going to be great. And I went to museums and talked to some local tribal people and all of that because I wanted it to have a certain, you know, I didn't want to write a Zorro story and know nothing about the Tongva tribe of Los Angeles that was there and alive and active at the time that I'm writing about. And if you, you know, if you just sketch and you can, even if you know, no, I, I argue this all the time, even an audience that knows nothing about the history or the politics or whatever, they can kind of tell a sketched in fraud when they see one. Mm -hmm. They kind of like, really? These seems like these Indians seem like the Indians from a John Ford cavalry movie from the 1940s. <laughs> they, don't, they don't actually seem like any depiction of American Indians that is even remotely, uh, you know, and it leads to tricky situations. You know, I'm a Italian Jewish, but white, white, white. And having to, when I was doing that Zorro story, I was like, here's an awkward conversation to have with your colorist. You know, uh, Doña Lolita is a white Spaniard. 
Uh, Zorro is a mestizo. His mother is full Tongva. His father is a Spaniard. His grandmother is full, 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 is full, full, full Tongva. Their skin tones have to reflect that. I, you know, mm. I did have to leave, have to write and go. Uh, grandma's got to be a little darker, man. I'm sorry. Like I, I, we can't have Grandma look exactly the same as all the Spaniards. But you're 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 giving it your due diligence, and that's I think the the important part because you're grounding it in a reality. You know, I I you know I I salute you for that. Like, Thank you. It's, it's, one of the biggest compliments I've ever received as a writer is the Zorro Corporation read my first script and said, "Did you know Isabel Allende wrote a Zorro novel? You should read it because your approach and Isabel Allende's are almost identical to the character." And I went. Well, that's the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. You know, that my take on Zorro is the same as Isabel Allende. And the book is fantastic. Uh, and she I, that's been on a on a to-read list for me for a few she years. Great. She digs into the history. There was a Tongva rebellion against the Spanish led by a woman named Toyperina. And uh his the her theory is that Toyperina falls in love with the Spanish officer that arrests her. And they get married, and the kid is Zorro. Oh, well. That he's the kid of an, you know, an American Indian revolutionary and a Spanish cavalry officer, and that's what produces Zorro, the classic Southern California mestizo kid. Uh, and it's 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 a really terrific book. I recommend it highly. Uh, but yeah, I, like I said, I would have felt like a fraud just writing. I'm, I'm just I'll just follow the Tyrone Power movie from the 1930s. That'll be that'll be close enough. That'll be accurate, right? It's like. No, of course it won't. I mean, I know when I was striving for for accuracy when I was writing, you know, the the Latex Avenger crossover, I did spend several days with a novelty <laughs> condom glued to yeah. my head. You know, like, it's it's <laughs> eventually my wife was like, Drew, um, take that thing off. Yes, it's disturbing. <laughs> um, you, you know, definitely make that. Uh, you you should make that a perk. You know, big. <laughs> Big five hundred dollars get Drew's novelty condom. I think you know, I, 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 you know, it, I, you know, actually, one of the reasons why I became friends with with Dan Price was uh, at, at conventions he used to give away condoms with the Latex Avenger logo on it, and I'm oh, always, man. I am always enamored with how people promote their their indie books because it's there's no we know when you're when. When you're doing an indie comic, there's no machine to, yeah. behind you for mm -hmm. advertising. It's all you. So mm -hmm. people get really creative. You know, I, I remember, um, you know, hearing, you know, uh, years ago about a guy who used to would go to conventions with a T-shirt gun and he would go out in the, the parking lot and fire off T-shirts with his his comic book character on it. You know, Dan was giving out condoms, you know, and that's why I was like, I, I need to know this guy because... Yeah. Like that's that's you know where is that and I'm I'm hoping we can we can do that as as a perk towards the end or end of the oh totally the, yeah. the crowdfund you stretch know goal. yeah, yeah right, goal. right right now <laughs> literally it's a stretch goal literally a stretch goal, stretch goal. yeah <laughs> um magnum um, but. I think usually we should have more lubrication in stretch goals. I think, <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, 
you know, right now we do have a bunch of, you know, we do have a bunch of stuff. Mostly it's it's back catalog stuff because if you're sure. you're not familiar with Halloween Man or Latex Avenger, we have older comics that you can come in so you can buy that and familiarize yourself. Sure. But uh, you know, we have we have quirky stuff too. Like one of the one of them is you can buy a buy not to turn this into s- shameless plugorama, but like we do have one where you can you can buy yourself a cameo in a Halloween Man comic that's coming up uh in you know that's that's all been a favorite on the last yeah, few crowdfunds that, that, that i've done that definitely that that's definitely a good one that definitely uh that definitely goes so we should I, wrap up i steered i steered away this deep conversation oh it's to, good to slay the shameless self-promotion have to get back to plugs <laughs> it all ended with condoms yes it started with condoms. It ended with condoms. Uh, <laughs> it was the best of condoms. It was the worst. Okay, I'm done. So uh, we we will have the link to the the Indiegogo in the uh, in this video and audio show notes, as it were, in the yeah. show notes when it goes up, so people will know how to find that. But where can people find you on the web, Drew? So if you wanna if you wanna come on Twitter and tell me that I am an asshole. Um, <laughs> You can go to HalloweenMan.com, C-O-M, all one word, all lowercase, and type Drew Edwards, you're an asshole, P.S., you're wrong, Ghostbusters 2. It's clearly the superior Ghostbusters movie. Um, If you want to find me on Instagram, um, it's just Drew underscore Halloween. Uh, You know, I post a lot of memes. People like memes. I I post pictures of my wife. She's really pretty. Um, She's prettier than me. Yeah, you know, like there's so there's that. Um, and if you want to follow Halloween Man on on Facebook, if you're you're an older person like me, um, you can just type in HalloweenMan.com and it takes you right to our Facebook group. So nice. there you go. Very helpful. And uh, Paolo, where can people find you? Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram at uh, Paulo J H D Z P A U L O J H D Z. And also, you can find me on uh, my website, uh, www.paulojhdz.com. Very nice. And if you're a writer out there that knows El Paso and Juarez, reach out to Paolo because I want to read that book. That does I, sound like a good I, book. I've only spent a couple of hours in each, and I'm not going hey. back to El Paso, man. Not even for you. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's funny too because I, I, when I thought of the idea, my idea was that uh, what's one concept that I would never do because mm-hmm. I don't like it. And no. I, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I don't like zombies. <laughs> I don't like zombies because zombies should be dead and decaying and that they're walking around and stuff. And so I, I said to myself, well, how can I write or, or, or come up with an idea with zombies where it made sense and I, I came up with that story. Oh, that's it has great. zombies in it. That's a that is a great hook for that. I, I learned I learned to love zombies because of that. I'm I'm totally with you on zombies, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I am to me zombies offend me because they're a fantasy concept masquerading as a science fiction concept. You know, oh, they, yeah. oh, it's a virus from outer space that makes creatures with no digestive system want to eat brain. Like, no, man, that's a fan. That's it's just vampires, man. It's, it's all it's all magic, whatever. <laughs> it's, just all magic. it's all magic. Don't tell me it's a virus. It's just vampires. It's, it's bullshit, man. Magic. It's bullshit, man. Where can people find you? 
Uh, before I get to that, point of fact, Magnum condoms are actually not any bigger than regular condoms. It's all marketing. They're the same size. Interesting. Huh. It's a psychological game. Don't buy into it. Don't spend the extra money. Same size. Uh, I <laughs> that's am, what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That is R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. For those listening, I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so now I have to uh, spell it for you. Uh, I'm tripping over my words uh, again. Um, my books, uh, the Ringo Award-winning Aberrants and the four-time Ringo-nominated Banjax. I believe Banjax was nominated the same year uh, that you were nominated, Drew. That's how we uh, know I, I think you're right. I think you're right. There you go. It's coming fucking full circle, man. You see full that? Circle. <laughs> full, full circle. Full circle. Uh, uh, and my latest and greatest uh, comic shop fit, uh, Suicide Jockeys. Uh, it's a tokusatsu thing. Uh, and it's what? got a sweet cover that's an homage to Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Pratting points. I, I I love it when uh, when people pick it out. But yeah, uh, great book, fun book. Um, go check it out. Those are available in your local comic shop uh, and via Amazon and wherever you get fine comics. So uh, my um, Kickstarter books, the Astral Projection Thriller, The Jump, and the Fargo-esque crime drama, The Peacekeepers, uh, can be had via my Backerkit shop. If you go to thejump2.backerkit.com, that's the jump one word and the number two, thejump2.backerkit.com. You'll find those. You'll find autographed copies of Aberrant and Banjax and uh, Rare Con variants and all that stuff. It's a one-stop Ryland Grant shop, so check that out. And uh, as I said, uh, Foshing Origins can be had via the Immortal Studios website. Go to immortal-studios.com. I'm going to be at San Diego Comic-Con all week. Uh, check me. Uh, I have a panel with Avalone again on uh, uh, Friday night. I have an Immortal Studios panel on Saturday. I'm going to be signing the whole weekend at the Immortal Studios book uh, booth. So come check me out. Come shake my hand. Come tell me I'm a jerk. Uh, come try and prove to me that Magnum condoms are actually bigger than regular condoms. They're going to like roll them out right in front of you. Yeah. be like, see? See? I'll be there for that. Um, yeah. Excellent. I too will be at uh, San Diego Comic-Con probably from Wednesday night on. Um, I'm not signing anywhere. Uh, no one has invited me to their booth, but I got a panel Friday, panel Sunday afternoon. I might be at the Kevin Eastman panel on Saturday. My wife has a panel Friday on Ooh, wow. science fiction costuming, the history of science fiction costuming. My wife is a professional union customer named Augusta who worked on Loki and Obi-Wan Kenobi and Picard just did a couple of days on Ahsoka. Don't tell anyone. And, um, I think you just did. Oh, right. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think any of the executives of Lucasfilm are listening to this. And, uh, so you. That yeah. Right. We got to tell I, if, they, if they did like the, 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 the comments that you made about George Lucas. Uh... Yeah. They, they're never, then they're never going to let me take over the Ghostbusters franchise. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's all Vigo, man. Just all Vigo. Eight more movies, all Vigo and Peter. <laughs> um, and uh, currently on shelves should be Savage Tales, the one shot, which isn't really a one shot. Elvira and Harland number three, which I think is our alien themed issue called uh, Geiger Encounter. Uh, a lot of gentle fun poked at the Alien franchise. I don't know that the scene where Jim Cameron gets pulled apart by aliens limb from limb is, is gentle, but, you know, could be. Could be described as gentle. Uh, we didn't really do it. It's just drawings. And uh, 
that series will run five issues. And that's what I got out and coming. And you can find me, davidavalonefreelance.com is Grandpa's website. Thank you so much for being on the show, gents. And thanks all at home for thanks listening. Thanks for having us. This is fun. Yeah, thanks for having Our us. Our great pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.